because man, when some of those excuses were scrolling across the screen, I thought, I've used that one, and that one, and that one, and there's always a but in our life. And it's sad that we would do this, but, and so what we're talking about in our diet and exercise is to train ourselves up, because I'm believing that this year is going to be a big year. And I don't mean that just in, in, in numbers or, or amount given or whatever. I'm just, there's been such an expectation in me that God is about to do something mighty in this land. And this land may not be ready for what God is about to do as it is right now, but God can move in the hearts of men and women. And I truly believe that God is going to move like He has never moved in this land before. And we need to be ready for it. We need to be trained up. We need to understand what our role is as a born-again Christian believing in and living here in the 21st century. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to be talking about spiritual training from Paul. Spiritual training from Paul. And uh, there's some things in our lives that we cannot be warned of enough. And Paul was no exception when he's training Timothy and he's raising him up. And Paul knows that when he's giving this passage that we're going to read, that his days are numbered. And there's many times where repetition is in the Bible for a reason. Have you ever wondered why God repeats certain things in the Bible so many times? And it's important that we understand the repetitions of Bible in the Bible and what God is trying to, to bring. You know, I have myself repeated many a lesson in my life throughout my entire lifetime. And there's times where I wish that I could have just went through something once, learned the lesson, and moved on. But there's times when those things repeat. And when I'm going through a repetition of things, I'm asking myself different questions and I'm asking God different questions. God, why is this reoccurring in my life? What am I to learn from this situation? Because I truly believe that we learn from every situation. God is my source. God is my strength. God is my protection. But as He is leading me through some of these valleys, I'm asking Him, what am I supposed to learn from this? And Paul is going to be talking to Timothy about this. You know, it's real interesting that if I called Steve up, Steve's back in the AV booth tonight, and I said, hey Steve, um, 5 a.m. I want to go to L.A. gym. Would you go work out with me? And he's like, well, I don't normally get up at 5, Sabrina's always up, but I'll go there anyway. So I get him up out of bed, we meet at LA Fitness, and I have a very unique workout structure. You know what? I go over to one piece of equipment, I lift it, I set it down, and I move on. I get on the treadmill, I walk once or twice, and I get off. And then I come over to another piece of equipment, I pull that huge iron down, and I put it on, and by 5.10, I'm completed with my workout. Now, Steve is thinking, I got up at 5 a.m. to come work out with you. You did every piece of equipment in here once, and now you're done. Now, we understand that for it to be a good workout, there has to be what's called, what? Repetitions, correct? So we're pulling that down, and we're doing it once, and we're doing it twice, and we're doing it three times, and we're starting to feel it the fourth time. Fifth time, we're understanding And we're toning ourselves. But why is it that in the body of Christ, we're doing so many things just once and say, okay, we're done with that? Yeah, I prayed back in January. I gave a really good offering back in February. March, I think it was last March, I did a good deed. I gave up that parking space. And God was really happy with me. 
these should be repetitions in our life, not one-day occurrences. Do you understand? And what Paul was about to talk to Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we're going to be going to is that we have to prepare ourselves for repetition. Now, if you're turning to your Bibles in 1 Timothy 4, I'm going to be starting in verse 6, and we're going to go through several verses, but the very first part of this passage, Paul is telling Timothy in the first few verses that believers will desert the Christian faith. And these people will speak lies disguised as truth. He's preparing him for what is about to happen. And unfortunately, in today's society, we see that more and more and more. Lies being spoken as truth. And if you get enough people nodding with you, then you form a committee and everyone starts speaking the lies. And basically, we take a little bit of truth and we take a little bit of false doctrine and we blend it all together and we put a little umbrella drink on it and then everybody starts drinking it. Because it's new and it's exciting and it's a new teaching. How does it line up with the Word of God? So it's important that we understand. If you have your Bibles, we'll have the Scripture up. But 1 Timothy 4, 6, this is what Paul is teaching Timothy. So today I want you to be Timothy. I want you to be receiving this letter as if it came in an email from Paul to you. And it says, you are a good servant of Christ Jesus when you point these things out to our brothers and sisters. Then you will be nourished by the words of the Christian faith and the excellent teachings which you have followed closely. Today's message, I want to point out three R's to you in our Christian training from Paul. First, we must always remember. We must always refine. And we must always reflect. So we must always remember, refine, and reflect with our personal walk with God. Now you'll notice I use the word personal walk with God because your walk is individually from my walk. The amount of time you're spending in time of prayer. If God is calling you to fast, if God is calling you to spend more time in the Word, there may be times when God starts speaking to you in a song. That's what happened to me this week. I was listening um, to an, an internet Christian radio station and that song came across, and I just stopped what I was doing. I, I, I took my headset off my phone, and I just started worshiping God. And then I went and I looked up that group, and I started going through it. And, 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 and I had a, just a, an experience with God. And I said, Austin, we've got to find that, that to download for meet and greet. But I could have worked right through that song. I could have ignored that. I could have, God was saying, Mark, spend some time with me. And when God wants to spend time with you, the most important thing that you can do is stop what you're doing and spend time with Him. Because He is calling us. He is calling us to new levels. He is calling us into the depth. He is calling us into an intimacy that we have never experienced before. And I believe that this year is going to be a year that we are going to start seeing God move so mightily in our lives. But I pray, God, would you start it in my life first? And would you start it in the congregation? And can we be like a wildfire that passes on to all the other churches? That revival would break forth. First, we must remember. Point number one is remember what you have been taught. You know, it's amazing when babies are born, there are some things you don't need to teach them. My kids knew how to scream right from the get-go. They came out screaming, you know, so we didn't have to teach them. Now, when you're unhappy, you're hungry, or you've just messed yourself, would you let us know by wailing at 2 a.m. in the morning? No, they know how to do that. They're very comfortable doing that from the very get-go. 
But as a parent, you know that there are certain things that we have to teach them over and over and over again. I have said, would you please turn off that light a billion times in the last 16 years. I promise you, if I had a dime for every time I said that, there's just constant reminders that we have to do with our children. Are these closures? You know? My favorite line lately is, the maid is not working this week. We don't have a maid, okay? But I'm saying the maid is not here this week. So you're going to need to pick these clothes up yourself. You're going to need to take this plate off of the coffee table. Because not everybody wants to see what you had for breakfast all day long. But these are constant things that we have to teach. And hopefully they're getting a grasp of it. And what Paul is telling Timothy here is says, you will be nourished by the words of the Christian faith and the excellent teachings which you have followed. We have to be nourished in the Word of God. That's what he's saying. We have to be nourished in the Word of God. How do we get nourished in the Word of God? First, reading. Absolutely. Journaling. You have the queen of journaling right here on the front row. Journaling is not my gift, but I have well supplied stacks of journals. If we stacked them up, we could fill a room. And all it is is it's the Word of God and what God is speaking to her and the dreams and visions that God has. And I've tried to say, would you put it on a computer? No, I like writing it out. But that is God's gift to her. But if we start spending time in the Word of God, start journaling the things that you have. Start taking notes during the Sunday morning messages. If you've never taken notes before, if I say one smart thing this whole year, would you be ready to write it down? That's not that big a thing to ask. I'm just asking you one, one smart thing and write it down. Say, I got it, Pastor. It was back in July, but I got it. And it was smart. And I wrote it down and I'm going to read it. Then I will feel content that I gave you one niblet that you were able to eat on. When you have a verse or a statement, you know when Rob got up and gave that word, he was hearing from the Holy Spirit to speak. Do you understand? We have to also, when you hear a verse like that, and you sense God's presence in it, write it down. So this afternoon, go over, reread what Rob shared with you. Write it down. It's so important that we have to understand this. Mark 8, verses 16 and 19 tells us this. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that we have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having ears did you not see, and having eyes did you not see, and having ears did you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, and how many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, Twelve. You know, I know they had to respond that way because he's saying, don't you remember what we just did? Now, let me, let me put it in today's modern terms. Let's just say that we had a service where we said, God is going to multiply our giving and every one of you bring every bill that you have, your mortgage statement, electric, your car payment, bring it in and we're going to put everything we have and we're just going to believe that God is going to multiply it and everybody's going to dip in the basket and take everything and pay all your bills. And what if that happened? Man, you came in and all of a sudden you're walking out of here with $2,300 paying all your bills. Do you think later that week when a bill comes, you're going to say, man, what am I going to do? God can't supply. You see, they're seeing God do. Jesus did a miraculous thing. And see, what was happening is Jesus knew their thoughts. 
They weren't saying this out loud. They were thinking, where, where are we going to eat? And Jesus picked up and said, why are you saying this? Don't you remember when I just fed 5,000 people? Now that was 5,000 men. There could have been more than that. And we had how much left over? And yet you're not remembering the things of God. When you are not writing down the victories... Do you remember what God did for you in 2010? Do you remember what God did for you in 2009? Do you remember what God did for you in 2008? Do you see why it's important for us to write down the victories and the words that God is speaking to us so that when you want to go in and you open up the journal and you'll say, July 2008, God miraculously healed my body. 2009, God provided when we didn't know where it was going to come from. 2010, an encouraging word came that just changed the entire environment of our home. You have to remind yourself of the things because no one else is going to be doing it for you. Do you understand? I can't call you up every morning and say, Paula, do you remember what God did for you in 2009? See, I don't know. She knows. She'll say, no, Mark, what did he do? Well, he woke you up. Okay, thank you so much. And she, but see, she knows because it is personal. She knows what God has done. She has seen God answer prayers. And that's why we have to remember what God is doing. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, remember the teachings that you've been taught. Remember what God is speaking to you in the Word. Point number two is you need to refine what you believe. Refine what you believe. What do we do with all the spiritual things that we learn over the years? Now, unfortunately, in a lot of that comes false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching out there. Go to the internet. There's a ton of false teaching. You know, we joked a couple weeks ago about the group that believes that May of this year the whole world is going to end. We have people that believe that when they die they're going to own planets and have multiple wives. There are people out there that believe that they're the only denomination that's going to heaven. All false teachings because what does it compare to the Word of God? When I start looking and hearing these teachings, I go to the Word of God and say, what does it have? The Word of God says that no man knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. So for me to start declaring a date in May that the world's going to end, that's pretty bodacious. We must go through a process refining our beliefs. What does the Word of God say? This is where Paul is taking up again back in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7-11. through 11. And he says this, Don't have anything to do with godless myths that old women like to tell. Rather, no, I, I, this is Paul writing this. Rather, train yourselves to live a godly life. Training the body helps a little, but godly living helps in every way. Godly living has the promise of life now and in the world to come. This is a statement that can be trusted and deserves complete acceptance. Certainly we work hard and struggle to live a godly life because we place our confidence in the living God. He is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Verse number 11, insist on these things and teach them. So what is Paul telling Timothy to do? Don't get bogged down into the, 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 the myths that are going around, stick to the Word of God. Unfortunately, today, in the body of Christ, we have a lot of things that are not being taught, and the things that are being taught are not from the Word of God. 
when Jesus' name is not mentioned on our Christian radio stations, I'm sorry that is not a Christian radio station. Because my, my whole relationship is through Jesus Christ. And man, when I worship, I want to be worshiping Jesus Christ. And when those songs are being played on secular stations, that means that there was really nothing that was edifying Christ. It just had a catchy tune and we liked it. And I'm going to focus on those songs that are truly of a worship nature. There is nothing common about God. There is nothing common about the message of the Bible. There is nothing common about the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that defines us from every other religion that's in the world today. A resurrected Savior. See, Buddha is still on the ground. Mohammed is still on the ground. Jesus Christ was raised and was witnessed by multiple people. Even historical facts saw Him, not even from the Bible. That's what separates us. And we have made it so common. We have made it into a cliche. We have just become so accepted. And now we accept this and this and this and this until we get so watered down. Paul is also challenging Timothy to exercise for holiness. Man, that's not a word we like to hear a lot. Holiness. Because we just feel like we can't obtain it. But you have to exercise towards holiness. In my natural self, I am not holy. It is only through Christ in me that I have been redeemed. But I still have a flesh that I deal with all the time. You take my parking space, I'm still going to think, that wasn't nice. I used to think some other things. This is the PG rated now, okay? And I'm praying that God's going to give me G like, golly, that was great that they took my space. I'm not there yet, so if you take my space, that wasn't nice. But we don't become holy without working at it. And he's giving a comparison even about training our bodies. You know, it's interesting. A swimmer who is a competitive swimmer will train differently than a runner. Would you agree on that? Okay. So swimmers train differently than runners. It's also amazing that you can be very, very good at running or swimming or pick your sport. Why is it that we will hire a coach to train us in something that we're already good at. Have you ever wondered about that? Why do Olympians have coaches? Because when they learn the techniques, their whole goal in training is to shave off that one hundredth of a second. Have you ever watched the Olympics? Remember when Michael Phelps swam and he, he just hit the edge right, and it was for like, what, his seventh gold medal? But when he hit it, he hit it just a tenth of a second before the others. Do you know that that came from good coaching? Now, if the coaching just said, well, swim down the other end, eat a donut, and just hang out there for a little while, tread water, and come back, that is not the training that he needs. And unfortunately today, some of the training that's taking place is just saying, you know what, just tread water, eat donuts, and you'll be a great swimmer. No! It doesn't happen that way. It has to go through spending time in the Word of God, through making decisions in your life, turning off the thoughts of the enemy and the influences of the enemy. Not accepting what is just acceptable everywhere else if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. That's how we start training our bodies for holiness. That's how we get that that tenth of a second shaved off so that we're we're getting more tuned to what God wants us to do. That training is going to come through spending time in prayer. How do you get better in prayer? Praying. Okay? And And I've noticed this. A lot of times we'll just let other people pray. I used to do that. I'll just let other people pray. They're good prayers. Let them do it. 
But guess what? They got better at praying. I got better at listening. That wasn't helping my prayer life. The way that you get better at praying is just praying. And it, it doesn't have to be a lot of King James in there. I, I very rarely use King James unless I'm mad at the kids. Thou shalt not leave that on the floor. Then they know that's pretty bad when it's King James. So God doesn't expect me to do King James in my prayers. I've told you many times, man, my prayer is just, God, would you forgive me and cleanse me? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. What, uh, what am I to do in this situation, Lord God? Would you move in the hearts of our leaders? Would you forgive our nation? Do you see, this is just my heart speaking to God. And the more you are praying, then you also need to spend time listening to God. If I invited you out to eat and I talked at you the entire time, would you say that was an enjoyable time for dinner? Because there was no interaction. There was no conversation. There was no questions. I've learned to ask great questions. And by asking great questions, you get real responses. And I try to learn about the people that I'm with. I already know what I know. I want to know what you know. Do you understand? I want to know your experiences. I want to hear what God has done in your life. And then that encourages me. Because faithfulness just promotes faithfulness. So it's important that we understand. Reading God's Word has to be done repeatedly. Remember I told you I don't go to the gym and lift one thing and one time and do this? There's times where you might have to park yourself on a Scripture till you get sick and tired of that Scripture. Oh, we don't like to do that, Pastor Mark. We just like to read bumper stickers. No, there are times where we have to get into the Word of God and say, God, I want this revealed to me. I want to grow from this. What are you saying? There is a great way, and I've been trying to teach you this over the last couple of years. When you're reading a passage, put yourself in that passage. How would you have responded when Jesus asked you that question? I did when I read the Word. Because, man, if I just got rebuked for all my unbelief, if I had seen Him do the 12 loaves and to feed 5,000, and He goes, how many baskets were, I mean, five loaves, how many baskets were left over? I know I would have sheepishly hung my head and said 12. That's the way you read the Word of God. It becomes real to you. It becomes accepted. Into, Lord, please don't let me have that much unbelief. So it's important that we practice. You know what's important is that we got to remember when we stop training in our physical, what happens to our body? <laughs> I'm an example. You know, I told you back in college, I used to run three miles a day. This wasn't here, okay? I'm just being honest, right? Do you think that when I stopped running three miles, I ran pretty much three every day, sometimes five? And when I stopped doing that, do you think I stayed in the same shape? No. No way. No way. So why is it that we can experience God, we can spend time in the Word, we can grow, and then all of a sudden we decide we can take the month of March off? Why is that? And do you think at the end of March you're going to be still on fire for Christ? Are you still going to have a burden for people? Probably not. And it's very easy to fall into that trap. So it's important that we maintain time in the Word every day. You maybe get tired of me telling you this because I'm getting tired of telling you. But the important thing is this. We are not going to grow as a body 
Now, I'm saying grow not just to fill this room three times. I'm talking grow spiritual growth. Spiritual growth that when we are going through trials and temptations, we speak the Word of God, not the words of Oprah. You see, when we start speaking the Word of God, situation starts changing. And we have to be able to understand when it's a physical or when it's a spiritual attack. See, that's what happens when we grow spiritually. We become stronger. My last point is that we need to reflect on what we profess. What we do needs to back up what we say. What we do needs to back up what we say. You know, one of the things that I've heard the most is why people don't go to church is they said it's full of hypocrites. And I told them, well, wait till you get to hell. It'll be a convention. But you know, I, I, I think that. I don't really say it, okay? Several years ago, when the uh, Arlington GM factory was going through a very difficult time, do you remember? It was, it was uh, a time when there was, they were taking long summer breaks. Do you all remember they were taking, having the employees mandatory, you get the month off, no pay, but they were struggling to get through a crisis. And I was watching the news one night, and they were filming live from the employee parking lot. And I was surprised to see foreign cars in the employees' parking lot at the General Motors plant. Now, if I'm building a product, I should be using the product. If I'm professing Christ as my Savior, I should be living a life that lines up with what I've been called to do. It's important that our words back up our actions because, man, we love our words. Some of you have too many words and not enough actions. So it's important that we back up. If we profess it, we need to perform it. Paul is continuing his writing to Timothy in verses 12 through 15. I'm going back to 1 Timothy 4. And it says, Don't let anyone look down on you for being young. Instead, take your speech... Behavior, love, faith, and purity as an example for other believers. Man, I'm going to reread that one. That was a really good passage right there. It says, don't let, don't let anyone look down on you for being young. Instead, make your speech, behavior, love, faith, and purity an example for other believers. Until I get there, concentrate on reading Scripture. In worship, giving, encouraging messages, and teaching people. Don't neglect the gift which you receive through prophecy when the spiritual leaders place their hands on you to ordain you. Practice these things. Devote your life to them so that everyone can see your progress. Do you see Paul's passion saying, Timothy, just do these things. Because there's a lot of wickedness out there. Just follow these simple guidelines. And it's important that we follow those important guidelines. The reason why I love this passage so much is it's so applicable to us. I'm going to tell you, it's a competitive world out there. And no matter what you say, somebody knows more. Have you ever met those people? They may be in the cubicle beside you. They may be in a classroom beside you. They may be your neighbor. But no matter what you do, they do better. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Man, there's times, I, I honestly, I listened to a message once, 
and I did not understand anything this pastor was preaching. And I'm not that dumb. I'm fairly knowledgeable. But everything he was talking about, I, I, I wasn't following it. And I thought, man, Lord, is this of you? What, what, what is he saying? I'm, I've invested 30 minutes of my life into this teaching and I'm not understanding anything. If your words are not encouraging others, then what application does that have? You see, we have to back up what we're saying. It's important that no matter what you feel your position is in life, Paul is telling Timothy, don't let anyone despise you. You see? Because there are so many times people will say, oh, Leah can't, Leah can't read a word because she's only a certain age. You know what? There may be more anointing in Leah's life than most leaders in churches and pulpits today. Okay? So nobody should despise you because of your age. Let's look at the other gamut. Well, you know, I'm in my 60s, my 70s, and, and I've done all that. No, God still has you alive and breathing for a reason. You're taking up space. Why don't you use it for something? You see, we all discount ourselves. Well, I'm not that smart. I don't speak like you speak. You know what? There are people that won't listen to me, but they will listen to you. And the testimony that God's done in your life, they'll listen to. We all have a reason. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, no matter what attack... Let me, let me give you the, the Mark James version of this. No matter what attack you've gone through, ignore it and keep preaching the Word of God. That's what he was telling him. Because everyone's going to come and tell you, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're, you speak uh, impediment. Whatever it's going to be, there's going to be constant people that are going to try to tear you down from what God has called you to do. Every Sunday we ought to be telling these musicians what a great job they did. Even if they didn't play your favorite song. Even if it was too loud. You know why? Because you're encouraging them in their gifts. It's important that we encourage each other. No matter where we are in life, keep pushing forward and preaching the Word of God. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy in this. Here comes one of my smart things for the year. Live by our actions, not by our arguments. When you live by your actions and not by your arguments, we are in a society that loves to argue. Why do we have to argue? Because we're not following what God's called us to do. Just be an example. Be an example and let Christ flow through you. So it's important that we understand. Paul is telling Timothy to teach nothing but the pure Word of God. God's Word has power to transform life. You know, when you hear a message and it is strictly from man, there's no scripture in it, it's all opinion, it's all passages from psychology today and what Harvard studies are doing, there's absolutely no power behind that because it was generated from man for man. But when you take the Word of God and you say, let's look at this passage, what is Christ telling His disciples here? What is God speaking to the church today? There is power in the Word of God. You want to try something supernatural? Go to the courthouse, open up your Bible, and just start reading the Word of God on the steps of the courthouse. You will get looks. You will get glares. You'll get comments. But you're going to sense a power of the Holy Spirit in you. Because you're taking the Word of God to the decision places in our society. 
It's important that the body of Christ get up and get on the field. But we have so many excuses. We have so many people telling us why we can't. And that's why Paul is telling them, preach the gospel. Read the word of God. Don't let people discourage you in what they're telling you about your age or whatever the case may be. What he's telling Timothy is that what he says must be appropriate and acceptable as a Christian leader. What he does needs to be acceptable as a Christian leader. Where he goes needs to be acceptable as a Christian leader. We as a body of Christ are going places we shouldn't be going. We're doing things we shouldn't be doing. We're saying things we shouldn't be saying. And there's no differentiation between us and the world. And then they're looking at us saying, you're just like me. Why do I need that? Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be an example of love. Love is loving others the way Christ commanded us to. 1 John 4, 7, 8 says, Dear friends, we must love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. Are you grasping this? We can't pick and choose who we want to love in this world. I'm glad that God did not pick and choose who He wanted to send His Son to die for. Christ died for all of us, but it's our choice to accept Him. He didn't choose a minority. He didn't choose a race or a gender. I grieve at the way women are being treated in countries today because of the religion that's being taught. That they don't have a voice. They have no rights. That they're property. It grieves my heart because they are daughters of the High King. Remember false teachings. Romans 12.9 says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Man, that's good enough. I'm going to read that one again. Romans 12.9, Don't just pretend to love others. Are we going through a pretending love other stage? Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. This is not rocket science. Love God, hate sin. Many of us have no problem loving God. Man, when you read surveys in America today, how many believe that they're born-again Christians? Percentage is way up there. How many believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Percentage goes way down. I'm like, wait a second. I love God, but I don't want to accept His Son. I don't want to live anyway. You know, God and I are just cool. We have this agreement. Wow. Show me your agreement in the Word of God. It's when we have to love others that sometimes we have difficulty because we like to pick and choose who we want to love. There are going to be people in our lives that are dirty. There are going to be people that come into this church that smell. There are going to be people that come into our church, into our lives, into our workplace, into our schools, into our neighborhoods that we don't want to have anything to do with. And then we're repeating that lesson. Because one of the things I tell you I walk on when I, when I go on my walk is first I ask God to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. 
And I said, God, if there's any prejudices in my life, if there's any judgment, if there's any pride, if there's anything in my life that is hindering my walk with you, would you please forgive me and cleanse me right now? Because you know what? The rest of my walk would just be in vain if I don't take care of any sin issues that are in my life. And every person deals with some prejudices in their life. Even today. And we have to love as God loved us. Even people who have wronged us. Because that is what is making us different from the world. We are going to have to stand out. Remember that as a sinner, God loved us. You weren't perfect when He first came into your life. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God loved us first. Aren't you glad that God loved us first? It wasn't through works. It wasn't through our beauty. It wasn't through our eloquence. It wasn't through our positional standing. Well, you know what? If you give $25,000 to the church, God will love you. Now, you know, you jo- we, we joke about this. But if I preach that enough, and I went on the radio, and I went on the TV, people would believe it. See, you know better, okay? But people want to achieve through works. And if I can buy salvation for $25,000, that's nothing to some people. That's more than that being gambled right now in Las Vegas on the table. So, so you, you follow how false doctrine, because it's just taught and taught and taught and taught and taught. And there's no scripture to back it up. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, be an example in everything you say and do. And that's what he's speaking to us at Lake House Church. Paul is also telling Timothy to be an example in his spirit. He was saying the attitude of why you do things. What motivates you to do anything? Have you ever wondered? What motivates you to do anything? There are times that I know that I've had the wrong motive. Seriously. What is our motivation? See, God sees our heart. Man sees the outward, but God sees our heart. And we are going through actions with the wrong motivation. So it's important that we understand the purity of our spirit. We need to do things because God wants us to do things. Seriously. I want to please God in all my ways. And if He says, Mark, get up at 5 a.m. and go do this, I'm going to do it because God is asking me to do it. And I'm going to be smiling at 5 a.m. Do you understand? People see our motives. They see behind the situations. You can tell when people are at an event just to be seen. They have no care about the cause. They just want to be seen. They have to be involved in anything that's happening. And God is saying, you know what? Do it with a pure spirit. And that we want to see people encouraged. We need to love people so much that we want to do things that God's asking us to do. And Paul is telling Timothy to display this. He's telling us to be, Timothy, also to be an example in faith because we've been given the greatest gift that man has ever been given. Jesus Christ. On the cross, our gift. Paul is telling Timothy to be an example in purity. This means that our speech must be pure. 
Our motives must be pure. Our thoughts must be pure. Philippians 4.8 tells us this, Finally, brothers and sisters, keep your thoughts on whatever is right and deserves praise. Things that are true and honorable, fair, pure, acceptable, and commendable. You see, our lives should be an example of that. As I close today, I want to ask you a question. Have you remembered what you've been taught? Have you remembered what God has done for you? The victories in your life. I'm not talking just the big ones. Not the time that your car was supernaturally picked up before two 18-wheelers smashed right underneath you. I'm talking about the little things that God does every day for you. When you get something that you didn't deserve... See, the Bible tells me that all good and perfect things come from above. So when I get things I don't deserve, I know it comes from above. It wasn't me. It wasn't my ability. It wasn't my looks. It is God's favor in my life. Are we writing these things down so that when we are going through a dark time, we can go back and look at all the victories that God has done in my life? Man, when I got favor from a teacher that I didn't deserve it, that was God. When you got a promotion that you weren't expecting, that was God. When your spouse let you live after what you just did, that was God. I'm just adding this in here as a freebie. There is no such thing as luck. Please don't tell me you're lucky. You are blessed. Okay? Luck does not exist. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ today, there are still a lot of of beliefs. Broken mirrors are not going to give you bad luck. Walk under a ladder... Just make sure the person on top of it isn't falling on you. But walking under a ladder is not going to bring you bad luck. Do you see how we bring certain things into our relationship with Christ? Oh, I love God, but I don't want bad luck. Wrong. When Job's situation was going through, he knew that it was a spiritual attack. When he lost all of his children, when all of his wealth, when everything was going through, he wasn't sitting around saying, man, was that bad luck. He knew that it was spiritual. Wasn't any help of his friends that came and sat with him for several days. But God was speaking to him. We don't need to bring excuses into our walk with Christ. It's important that we understand what the Word of God says, that we make a decision that we're going to live that way. We're going to be pure in our walk, pure in our talk. There are standards that we need to set in our lives. There are standards we need to set in our businesses. There are standards we need to set in our homes. These standards need to be what we live by and not affected by the world. 1 Timothy 4.16 tells us this. Paul is now at the end of his days and he knows that he's about to die. And he tells Timothy this, Focus on your life and your teaching. Continue to do what I've told you. If you do this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Wow. This is the pure heart of a teacher teaching a student. This teacher wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so I think this would be good teaching for us. Then in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 or 8, Paul writes this, My life is coming to an end. And it is now time for me to be poured out 
as a sacrifice to God. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have completed the race. I have kept the faith. The prize that shows that I have God's approval is now waiting for me. The Lord, who is a fair judge, will give me a prize on that day. And He will give it not only to to me, but to also everyone who is eagerly awaiting for Him to come again. Austin was playing a thing on YouTube from Leland and he was saying, righteousness has its benefits. You don't hear that preached a lot today. And I was glad to hear that a group at a major concert, he was saying, righteousness has its benefits. Because all we're telling teenagers is don't do that. No, no, no. All we're telling the world to do is don't do this and don't do this. And no one is out there saying, you know what, when you do the right thing, God's favor and God's blessing will come and overtake you. We should be an example of God's blessings so that people see and want what we have. Now, let's clarify blessings because the first thing we think of is we just need to be walking in abundance of money. Blessings comes through being able to sleep at night with a clear conscience. Blessing is the ability to have people who truly love you no matter what you look like. Okay? It's not conditional. Blessings are knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. There are many, many blessings other than money and cars and houses. And what he's saying is, I've ran a good race. I've done everything that I've been teaching. And now it's time for me to go into my prize. I want to give you an opportunity today to make that decision. That if you have been convicted by any of these things today, and you said, Mark, that one thing still running through my head. I need to get that cleared up with God. Would this be your day of just praying forgiveness and mercy? I'd like to lead everybody in a very simple prayer. And this prayer is very simple, but if you truly mean it, it will radically change your life. Because what it's asking is not only for Jesus Christ to be your, your Savior, but to be your Lord. And to be my Lord means that I submit myself to His authority. To be my Lord means that I become the servant of my Master. Today is a day of decision. Would everybody bow your heads and close your eyes and repeat this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved. Amen. Today is a new day. God has given you today. Let's make the most of it. Spend some time reading what Paul was teaching Timothy. Say, is this written to me? How would I receive this letter? Maybe our speech needs to get purified. Maybe our thoughts need to get purified. Maybe our actions need to get purified. But today is the day. Great things are ahead for us. 
God has great and mighty things ahead for us. I sense it in my spirit. I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we close and dismiss so everybody could please stand. May the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go in His peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. We love you.